You know, it's been such a, a blessing week in and week out to have our worship team just uh, lead us in worship. And that song we just sang right there at the end uh, is a brand new song that our worship team have written uh, during this COVID season. And what a, what a gift it is to be able to see our songs being birthed amongst our people and being sung by our church. That really uh, excites me. And I'm just so grateful for these guys and all that they've done uh, and all the ways in which they are leading us and have led us. And, uh, uh, you know, I think so often it's easy for us to take worship for granted. And yet these guys pour their hearts and their lives out uh, so that we can have that encounter moment with God. And I I know that that's blessed many of us today. So uh, we're just grateful uh, for the men and women of our worship team. I want to start today by asking you a specific question. And it's this, have you ever had a, a situation where you feel completely and utterly overshadowed by someone else? you know that feeling. Like if you've got an older brother or sister, I bet you, you know this feeling. You know, the feeling where like they are like the perfect people in your mom and your dad's eyes, that they're like the perfect person. It's like Jesus and then your older brother or sister, right? It's like, even if they burp, they think your parents, they think it's the great thing that's ever happened in the world. And they look up and they just think through rose tinted glasses that your brother and sister could never make ever a mistake. And you feel like you're the quiet one in the corner that often goes, not seen, often goes forgotten that your achievements seem nothing, whereas your brother's and sister's achievements seem to be everything. Have, have you ever experienced that time where, where maybe you got the grade that you were pushing for? Maybe you got that A minus in that test and you were so proud about yourself. You felt so great about your achievement and then your best friend got that A plus and suddenly you felt like a loser again. Have you ever felt like uh, you're kind of in this dark, long shadow cast by the brilliance, the shining brilliance of that other person and your life seems to be in the shadow of their genius? Have you ever felt that you're like a, a long and distant second to somebody else's first? Well, if that's how you felt in life before, and I've certainly felt like that many times, then I think this passage of scripture that we're opening up today has something to say to you. It's a a passage that if a passage could have feelings, I think would feel exactly like I've just been describing. Because this passage of scripture we're about to go to, it's, it's one where actually it comes immediately after one of the most famous scriptures that there is in all of our Bible. In fact, it's the the kind of scripture that both Christians and non-Christians alike know. This this scripture is so famous that it actually casts this long shadow on the passage we're about to read right now. In fact, most people, when they read the first part of this passage, being so famous, they stop right at the famous part and they don't bother to read on to the rest of the chapter. It's actually interesting in a recent poll of the most untaught passage of scripture from the pulpit, this passage was in the top 10. Okay, this one gets more ignored than almost any other scripture in the New Testament because of the amazing famous brother that's right next to it. And yet this passage, when I was thinking about what do I bring after Vision Sunday, the Sunday after Vision Sunday, what do I bring to encourage us? What do I bring to ground us? I wanted to bring a passage that actually speaks of what I think is one of the most fundamental and core centers of the Christian faith. It's this passage, not the illustrious neighbor that it has. Um, The passage is 1 Corinthians 13. 
It's that amazing passage of Paul where he has this beautiful poem about love. You know the passage, the one where he starts out and he says, hey, you know, if I was to speak in all the tongues of men and of angels and yet have not love, I'm just a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. And he goes on to say, oh, love is patient. Love is kind. Love is beautiful. Love is all this great stuff. It's never angry. It never gets upset. Never keeps a a record of wrongs. Love never fails. You know that passage so well. But there's a whole nother half of the chapter that happens right after that part that I think is the whole reason why Paul wrote the poem in the first place. And yet we so quickly skip over it and don't absorb the teaching that's found in it. And that's what I want to do today. I want to read this second part of that chapter to you. And I want to draw out of some things that I think are going to set our church on a new trajectory as we head into the river that God has for us. So let me read this to us from from 1 Corinthians 13, but starting in verse 8 onwards. Paul says this, Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. For where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. Look, when I was a child, I taught like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see but a a poor reflection as in a mirror. But then we will see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I am now fully known. And now... These three things remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. A little bit of context and background is really important for us to grasp exactly what what I think Paul is trying to teach the church here. Paul's writing to a church in Corinth that's made up of predominantly Gentile believers, ones that have just come to faith. And they've come to faith and they've been aligned to this new gospel that this rabbi, this, this man from Nazareth, in his death and his resurrection, has paid for their sins. And these men and women out of a pagan background are wrestling now with the reality that this Jesus Christ is the one that can truly set them free. Not Caesar, not the culture of the Greek or Roman Empire, but the kingdom culture founded in this person of Jesus Christ. And not surprisingly, they're they're grappling with this in a city that is designed to kind of come against everything that the teachings of Jesus has. Corinth actually, much like Hong Kong, was a port city. Corinth, because it was a port city, was incredibly wealthy. A lot of the people that lived there moved to Corinth specifically to make a name for themselves, to make wealth for themselves. And as you can imagine, in a hustling and a bustling and a multicultural port city, there was so much there that was good, but there was also so much there that was evil. Corinth was known around the Greek Roman Empire as a place to go to if you wanted to purchase sex. In fact, up on the hill overlooking Corinth, on the Acro-Corinth, was a temple that was for the goddess Diana. And that temple, the way they worshipped there, was by sleeping with temple prostitutes. And those temple prostitutes would come down every night into the town, and men would purchase sex with them in order to worship the goddess Diana. And it's out of this kind of pagan, sinful background that these men and women have come to Christ and they're trying to establish church right there in the midst of all of that happening. And not surprisingly, they have so many questions on their heart. And and these questions are so central to everything that they want to say. Questions that are like these. 
questions like, do I still have the freedom to choose to live my life how I please, or do I now need to obey all these new Jesus rules? Now that I'm a Christian, how should I now treat my spouse? What exactly should we do when we gather together and worship? Do I have to speak in tongues to be spiritual? Is it okay to eat food that's sacrificed to idols? Can I sue another Christian? Does Jesus' wisdom contradict the philosophical wisdom and teaching of the Greek Roman Empire that I'm used to? Which leader should we now follow? Should we be following Jesus or should we be following Caesar? These questions sit on their hearts because they're struggling with connecting their faith to all of society around them. And I said last week as we were looking at Vision Sunday that one of the things that we want to do as a church is begin to help each one of us connect our faith to all of society around us. And I think just like the church in Corinth, many of us have a lot of questions right now. What is God doing in this COVID time? When are we going to come out of it? When is church going to get back to normal? When is my life going to return? Am I going to survive this? Is it going to go? We've all got so many big questions. And, and here's the church in Corinth writing to Paul with all of these questions. And that's what Paul does. It's interesting. 1 Corinthians is Paul's reply to a letter that the church has written him with all those questions I've just read out in. And actually from chapter 7, Paul says in verse 1, he says, now I'm going to reply to all those questions. And he starts working one by one through those questions in the rest of the letter. But something fascinating happens in chapter 13. See, in chapter 13, Paul's on a roll. He's going with all these answers to the questions, but he almost has this diversion in chapter 13. He almost pauses what he's been teaching, and he kind of does this chapter that almost seems a little bit out of place to the other chapters around it. And I think it's Paul going, oh, hang on, hang on, hang on. Before I keep teaching, before I keep trying to answer all these questions, you need to know one thing that's really important. You need to know that actually we're not ever going to have all of the answers. I mean, this is crazy that Paul would do this. He, he basically pauses and he says, hang on, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's, let's just take a moment to breathe here. Our breathing moment is to realize that actually we're not always going to have the answers, that there's going to be some gaps in life. And actually it's in these gaps where you're going to meet God the most. Let me show you how he actually does this in the text. I think it's so important. Let me read uh, verses just eight and nine again to you. He says, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. For where there is knowledge, it'll pass away. Notice this. For now we know in part and we prophesy in part. This is Paul being really honest with his church. And he's saying this to his church. Guess what? We don't know everything. We don't. We don't have all the answers. We don't know absolutely everything. Now remember, this is Paul writing this to the church. This is Paul who described himself as a Hebrew of Hebrews and a Pharisee of Pharisees. This is Paul who made his whole life based on knowing as much as he can about God. As a Hebrew of Hebrews, he was more Jewish than anyone else. As a Pharisee of Pharisees, Paul was exclaiming that he knew more about the Jewish law than anybody else. That Paul himself had dedicated his whole life to studying scripture, studying God, understanding the Judaic law so that he could lead his people as faithfully as possible. The one who had made a career out of basically knowing everything goes to his church and he says, we don't know everything. I mean, the amount of humility that it took for Paul to even just say that in front of his church. 
Because for Paul, his whole life had been built on a faulty assumption, but it was this assumption. That the more that I know, the more that I know about God, the more that I know about his law, the more things I know about him, the more in control and safe and well-ordered my life will be. Paul thought that it was his knowledge that was going to create comfort and security, that it was his knowledge about God that would enable him to not feel overwhelmed in life. Paul had dedicated everything in that pursuit and then he actually met Jesus on the Damascus Road. Come on, church, follow this. He had made himself a Pharisee of Pharisees, but the day when Jesus showed up and showed himself to Paul, Paul had these words, who are you, Lord? Paul realized that actually we can have all this knowledge about God, but fail to have a relationship with him. Come on. I believe that there are so many of us at the vine like this, and I put myself in this camp all the time. I mean, I've tried to master uh, theology. I actually have a degree that says I'm a master of theology, right? It's a piece of paper that tells me I've studied a lot about God's word, but I wrote perhaps more than anyone that I can know a lot about God and fail to have a relationship with him. That was Paul's faulty assumption. And here's a church in Corinth writing all these questions. Help us to know. Help us to understand. Help us to get this answer. How do we do this? How do we navigate? And those were important questions. And Paul's answering them for them. And then he almost like, it's almost like he has this revelation and he stops in chapter 13 and he goes, we don't know everything, okay? We can't all work this out. I'm not gonna have all the questions or all the answers to your questions. And actually that's a good thing because Paul realized in his pursuit of knowledge, he made himself God and put God to one side. Mm. (laughs) You're not gonna like me to preach on this one, but I'm gonna preach on it because here in Hong Kong, we have an idol in our education system. We make idols out of the things we know and learn. We make idols out of what's behind our name and the number of letters that are there. And Paul had done that himself. He had made an idol out of being a Pharisee of the Pharisees. And then he met Jesus and realized everything changed. And so this is like Jesus in chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians. It's like, it's like Paul saying to the church, guess what? We are not God. <laughs> We're not God. And any time that we place ourselves in the position where we are God, where we think we have the answers, where we think we get control and power through coming up with all the answers, if that's what we try to do in our Christian faith, then we've placed ourselves in a position where we think we're God and we've actually shunted out the real one who should be there, Jesus Christ himself. And what that's done is that's put us in a position of false power. We, we think we have this power because we have all the questions lined up. We have all the answers. There are no gaps. And Paul writes to the church and he goes, guess what? There are going to be gaps. There's going to be stuff that you can't figure out. There's going to be stuff that you're not going to have an answer to. And if you try to fill those gaps with your strengths, with your experience, with your wisdom, you're going to make yourself God. You are not God. And instead, maybe the gaps are an invitation to something else. Let me show you actually what I think he does here. In verses 10 and 12, he says this. He says, but when perfection comes, the imperfect actually disappears. Verse 12, he says, now we see right now, but a poor reflection as in a mirror, but then we will see face to face. You see, now I know in part, but then in the future, I will know fully, even as I am fully known. See, Paul's writing to the church and, and he's saying some really important things. 
He's saying, look, there are actually two realities in this world. There's the human reality, and then there's the divine reality. And Paul describes the human reality as imperfection. He says, right now, there's this imperfect life we're living in where our prophecies are not perfect. Our tongues are not perfect. Our knowledge is not perfect. We, we live in this kind of idea where there are gaps to everything. It's imperfect, but a time is coming in the future where perfection will arise. He's speaking here of the coming of Christ, of Christ returning to the world. And he says, when perfection comes, the imperfect will disappear and will be left in a situation where we fully know. But right now, I know in part in the future, I will fully know. It's like he's saying to us, and this is so key, he's like, we have to realize that in this newness of fully knowing God, we will come to understand something. That actually the great invitation of your relationship with Jesus is this, that you get to worship the God of the gaps. You get to worship the God of the gaps, the one who actually meets us in the middle of the things that we cannot understand. Let me uh, map this out for you. I want to actually draw it out to show you what I think Paul is really teaching the church here because this is very critical. See, he describes this kind of world in which we live in right now. This is my current world, by the way, that is this kind of imperfect state. But he says, in the future is coming a new world. This is my new world here that is created anew because Christ is at the center of it. The new Jerusalem coming down as it's described to us in Revelations. He's going to come down. Everything will change. There'll be no more opportunity for sin. There'll be healing and restoration in our resurrected body. We will come to know the fullness of life, the fullness of shalom. This is where we're heading. Christ will return to bring us from imperfection to perfection. But he says right now, You've got to realize that there are these things called gaps. Right now, in the life that we're living, you're not going to have it all figured out. There are going to be gaps. But here's the issue for us Christians. We don't like the gaps. We struggle with the gaps. We, we struggle with the reality of, when is God going to tell me who I should marry? We struggle with the reality of, of how is Hong Kong going to change in the future? We struggle with the reality of uh, what, are my, what are my children going to grow up in, in life in the future? And we have all these stresses associated with the gaps in life. As Christians, we want to get rid of the gaps. In fact, we think actually that the Christian faith is an invitation to kind of get rid or close the gaps. And so we do everything that we can to try to do this. And what Paul is saying is, hang on, you've got to realize that in life, those gaps are going to be there. And either you're going to fight against them like they're some kind of enemy, or you're actually going to realize that there's another way to live. (laughs) A few years ago, as I was working for an international investment bank, I was pretty young in my career. I was doing HR, and I was invited after a few weeks of being involved uh, on a business trip to China to recruit some of the young analysts for uh, our organization. And this was a, a great honor to be able to do this, and I'd never been on a business trip in my life before, and I was so super excited that I get to go on this business trip. Well, about a, two days or so before we took off, I got an email from the travel department, and this email was the itinerary for the trip that was coming up. It was a four-day trip, and the itinerary was like, you're going to get picked up from your house at this time, you're going to get 
get on the airplane at this time. We're going to have breakfast here. You're then going to get picked up and you're going to go to the university. And it went time and time for the four days. Every single minute of my life was accounted for. And I loved it. I was like, I showed it to my wife. I'm like, look at my itinerary. This is everything that's about to happen for me in the next four days. And a business trip was super comfortable and relaxing because all of the things were all worked out. I was really happy. It was really easy to follow. And literally the trip just happened as that. Everything was perfect. And here's the thing. I think for so many of us as Christians, we actually think that our faith in Jesus Christ means that we should be living like a business trip experience with God. We think that when we have this relationship with Jesus, what's going to happen is God's going to download his itinerary for our lives. It's like suddenly we come to understand everything that we're about to do. I know everything that I should do for the rest of my life because I'm a Christian now and Jesus is in relationship with me and surely God knows and so he's going to download. It's like the divine travel department is going to send my itinerary for the next week and I'll be able to hit everything and everything's going to be fine and I'll know who it is that I need to marry. I'll know when it is that I'm going to get married. I know all the stuff that's going to happen. I know which job I'm going to end up taking and everything's going to be mapped out. It's going to be perfect. We desire this as Christians because we think this is what brings comfort, safety, and security. Some of you are living like this right now. Your whole life with Jesus is around the idea of getting downloads for him so that your life can be like a business trip. And and the challenge of making life like this business trip is that we come to expect that God will give us that download. Then what happens when the download doesn't come? Here's what happens. We either begin to think that God is not what the Bible says he is, or we begin to think that we're not strong enough or good enough Christians. Come on, church, this is so important. Because I think there's so many of us that are living life with this kind of faulty foundation. And Paul understood that there were many people in Corinth that were living their Christian life with this faulty foundation. And so he comes and he basically says, that's not the way to be thinking. See, see, if you're wanting God to fill in every single gap that you have with a perfect itinerary for your life, when that doesn't happen, either it's God's fault or it's your fault. Either you're going to doubt his goodness and his promises, or you're going to think that you need to pray more, you need to fast more. You need to read the Bible more. You need to do, do, do. And if enemy can do anything to make you worse as a Christian, it's to push you spiritually. It's to make you think that that all of the things that you gain in the Christian life come from works. The Bible is very clear. Salvation by grace and grace alone. It's an invitation, not to the anxious stress of working to get God to give me an itinerary. It's an invitation to a love relationship where God gets to step in to all of the gaps in life and show me his wonder and his beauty, not always his answers. Come on, church. Are you with me here? In fact, we worship the God of the gaps. We worship the one who is able to meet us in these places. This is so interesting that we think that our Christian faith is a business trip. Let me put it this way. God is not interested in inviting you on a business trip. God is interested in inviting you on an adventure. Come on, church, I'm going to say it again. God is not interested in inviting you on some business trip. He's interested in inviting you on an adventure. This is what the vision that we spoke about last week all is. If you think the vision of the river at the vine is an itinerary business trip where we're just waiting for the downloads and you're going to come to church and the pastor up front is going to tell you everything you need to do, then you're missing the point. Actually, what God invites us to is an adventure. And an adventure 
defined very much the way it is means that it isn't all worked out. It means that there isn't this perfectly downloaded itinerary. It means that, that when you're on an adventure, what makes it an adventure is that you don't necessarily know where you're going to end up at the end of the day. You don't know maybe when you're out there on that adventure vacation where you might sleep that night. Don't know where your next meal is going to come from. You don't have the hotel reservation there. You're actually trusting in the joy of discovery. And this is exactly what I think Christ invites us into in our lives. And yet so many of us think wrongly that our Christian life is an itinerary. Christ says, no, come and join me in this adventure. Come and join me in the experience where I meet you in those places where you find yourself in the greatest frustration, not thinking that I'm always going to give you the answers, but always knowing that my presence will be there with you. The danger we have as Christians though, is that we're so afraid of the gaps and what they might say either about God or about us that we actually in our own strength try to fill those gaps with our own skills, our own thoughts, our own experiences. We try to think that we can come up with all those answers. If I could just think well enough, I might come up with the answers that I need about my future, about my family, about that relationship, about what's going to happen in my city. If I can just try harder, I might get there. And it's like Paul's writing to the church and he's saying, you are not the God of the gaps. He is. So see the gaps as an invitation from God that only God and God alone can fill them with his presence, with his love, with the reality of him in your life. See the gaps, in other words, as an invitation to relationship. Con Church, this is, I think, so fundamental for us as we begin to launch ourselves into the river. There are lots of gaps when I think about the river. I mean, there's questions I've got. How are we going to be able to pay for this? What is it going to look like? Where should we plant that church? Where should we start those tributaries? Who are we going to trust with it? Where are the leaders? How are we going to do this? What is it that God's doing amongst our people? Does anybody really want to do this? Am I just saying stuff to a camera and no one's listening? I mean, I have loads of gaps that are present before me as your senior pastor. And the danger is that I try to fill those gaps with all of my great answers rather than realizing that the gaps are there because God wants me on an adventure with him. That the gaps are there so that he can meet me in them by his presence that the gaps are not all going to get answered, but actually in those places where I realize I don't have the answers, I can discover the real answer, Jesus. You see, the gaps are an invitation to relationship. And I think that's why God's created us imperfect in this moment. And yes, there's a time coming where perfection will be here and we'll know everything just as we are currently fully known. But right now, there's the gaps and the gaps are there not to cause you to run away from faith, not to cause you to get angry at faith, but as an invitation into the mystery and wonder of Jesus. That in those places where we fail, Jesus is real. And I think that's such a a beautiful thought for us. And the challenging thing is that I think there are so many of us who are not living like that. I think so many of us want to try to fill those gaps ourselves rather than allow Jesus to meet us in them. You see, in doing everything you can yourself to avoid the gaps, some of you are actually pushing away the very thing you need the most, Jesus. Church, think about this. Some of you, the actual thing that you need in this place here is more of him. But but in your own effort to try to fill them with everything else, you're actually ironically pushing Jesus further away in your life. 
And instead, he's opening up a space in which your knowledge is necessarily limited so you find yourself more and more relying on him, on his love, his guidance, his strength, and his presence. And I think if there's anything he wants for us in this river, in the season ahead, it's that understanding and that reality. We worship the God of the gaps. Now, here's the profound thing. Paul tells us in this passage that although there are gaps, and although those gaps will be filled by the one who knows all things, we are not left alone in this time. He says this in verse 13, and now these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. This is so profoundly Paul, this is that moment where he's taken a pause in the whole letter and he said, we need to know, we don't know everything. That if we try and know everything, we become God and we push God away. That actually we worship a God of the gaps who meets us in the middle of the things that we can never understand. And that in meeting the God of the gaps, we actually deepen our relationship with him rather than the knowledge about him. So he's taught all of that in this passage. But then he goes, but three things remain. He hasn't given up on us. He hasn't left us alone to try to find him sort of in the nevisphere somewhere. He says three things remain. The first one is called faith. Then there's hope. And then there's love. And he's saying these three things are the things that Christ has given us so that we might be able to discover more of the mystery of Christ in the gaps of life so that we might be able to actually encounter our relationship with him in new and profound ways that we might be able to build a faith that now is anchored on the three things that will enable us to embrace the gaps in our lives not see them as things we should be anxious about and try to avoid not see them as things that limit us but actually as a place through faith, hope, and love to discover more of him. Faith, the audacious idea that we are to step out sometimes into the gaps without that perfect itinerary. Faith that says we believe and trust in the word of God, even when we haven't necessarily experienced it. Faith that says, I'm going to take a stand for the word of God, no matter what anybody else around me might say, that I'm going to choose to believe in what God says to me in his word. Faith to actually become somebody in the river, in the rapids, even when you think it's probably safer to stay on the shore. Faith remains. Hope. This crazy idea that actually Christ is in control. The the hope to know that perfection is on its way. The hope to know that Christ will return. And Revelations 21, 22 shows us the picture of what life's going to be like in that time. That everything will be just put right. That healing will come for all people. That there'll be that restoration. That all tribes and tongues and languages will actually be taking place together in praise of God. And it's like Jesus is saying, what hope is... is living on part of that, living on behalf of that picture now in this moment. What hope is, is drawing forward the promises of the future and living them as if they're in the reality of our presence now. Faith remains, hope remains, and love remains. See, this is why this part of the chapter is actually the most important part. Because everything he said, Paul, about love in the early part of the chapter is all for this moment. He says, you want to know how you're going to meet Christ in the middle of those gaps. Here it is. Love is kind. It's patient. 
It does not envy, does not boast. It's not proud. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It is not too easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love delights in evil, uh, delights uh, not in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails you. I mean, that beautiful poem actually doesn't come into the fullness of its context until you read the rest of the passage where Paul says, we don't know everything. There are gaps in life. And so often as Christians, we try to fill those gaps with our own strength or energy, or we think God is going to give us a download itinerary that makes that perfect. No, realize the gaps are there so you can encounter love, a love that is so radical, a love that is so true, a love that is so perfect, a love that rejoices in God's heart, that in that love and the faith and the hope that it manifests in you, no matter what gap you face, you will find the trueness of life. We worship, church, the God of the gaps. And as we seek to launch into this river in this new season, off the back of Vision Sunday last week, as we seek to position ourselves as people of Christ in Hong Kong in such a challenging season that we're in right now, our starting foundational point needs to be that in the gaps of our lives, in those places where we don't have the answers, in those places where we get anxious because we don't have the answers, the temptation is going to be to try to create some control in those places by trying to come up with the answers ourselves when actually what God wants is us to release that tension by realizing that in faith, hope, and love, we can discover more of him, even in the places where we thought he never was. And so church today, as you sit in the reality of this idea, I want to encourage you, you might be watching this right now and maybe, maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe you're watching this right now and you're not somebody who would say that, you know, you profess Jesus as your Lord and Savior. What a hopeful message this is today for you. Because I believe what Christ is saying out of this passage for you is that you are known that those gaps that you sense in life, they may be gaps for you, but they're not gaps for God. That God sees the gaps in your life and he wants to meet you in those places. That there is a God who has given the life of his son so you would know the fullness of life. That those gaps that you sense in life can actually be filled by someone else. And that person is Jesus Christ. And there's an invitation for you today, if you're not a Christian watching this, that those gaps are no longer to be filled by you, but to be filled by him. And how do we do that? It's just a simple prayer of saying, God, I realize that you're the God of the gaps, that I notice these gaps in my life and I need you to come by your grace. It's asking for forgiveness for the ways in which our sin has hurt God, hurt ourselves and hurt others and hurt the environment. And it's coming before God and saying, these are my confessions and I want to meet you, God. I want to have that experience with you. So if you're watching this right now and, and you're not a Christian, what an invitation there is for you today to meet with the God of the gaps. But if you are a Christian watching this, let me finish by challenging you with this. That the whole point that I think Paul writes, 1 Corinthians 13, is so you would realize and you would be challenged to think about the foundations that you've based your life upon. That you'd be challenged to say, what is it that I'm expecting from God? Am I wanting that divine download perfect itinerary that answers all my questions? Am I wanting to strive myself to know as much about God and yet in so doing have actually pushed him aside? I think for some of you today, you actually need a Damascus Road experience. You actually need Christ to reveal himself to you again. And that maybe your response today is to say, you know what, God, I trust you. Faith, 
hope, and love. Forgive me where I've been so anxious about the gaps that I've given up on you or I've looked down upon myself. Forgive me that in those gaps, I've tried to fill them with my own wisdom and knowledge and strength and experience. Now I come to you, Jesus, the God of the gaps. And I ask in faith and in the hope that you are bringing perfection, that you would reveal your love to me in such a profound way that although the answers may still not come, my relationship with you is way, way more important. You have that invitation today, church. And for many of us, I believe that's an important call as we head into the river. Can I pray for us? Let's pray. Father, we just are grateful for this moment in time. So thankful that Paul didn't stop his chapter with that beautiful poem, but pressed on to ask some pretty big questions of his church. And I believe ask some pretty big questions of us as the vine today. Lord, forgive us where the gaps in our knowledge or the gaps in our experience or the gaps in who we are as people have caused us to either doubt you, have caused us to doubt ourselves, or perhaps has caused us to try to fill those gaps with our own brilliance, our own sense of genius, to become like God rather than realize that it's in those gaps we are to discover the real God. And Lord, I know that many of us need to just bring that before you today. And I want to encourage you as you're watching this just to take a moment. Just to open your heart right now to this moment. And maybe God is challenging you in that space. Maybe like Paul, before he had that Damascus Road experience, he had made a God of himself. Maybe you've made a God of yourself. Maybe you've done that out of pride and arrogance. Pride in who you are and the life you've led and the education you've received and the job you have. And while none of those are bad things in and of themselves, pride has associated those things with you. And proud, arrogant heart is what's been created in you. And when things are hard, you double down on your own strength rather than humbly like Paul, expressing your need. And if that's you today, I just want to encourage you to bring that before the Lord, to ask for him to speak to you in this moment. I believe he'll meet that pride and that arrogance with his love. And he's not here to tell you off or to get angry at you. He's here to fill that gap you're feeling right now. Maybe shame, maybe hurt, maybe the gap of that conviction of realizing what it is that you've done in pushing God out of your life. And God wants to meet you in that place with his love, his perfect love that casts out fear. For some of you, that's what's needed in this moment. For other of you, the gaps that you've experienced in life, those gaps have created great anxiety and fear in you. And Christ's heart is broken towards that because he wants you to know today, hey, there's always going to be gaps. If you want a perfect life without gaps, you're going to be even more anxious. Instead, realize today that there are going to be gaps and meet me in them. And I believe for some of you, it's just about opening your heart to Jesus again. It's about seeing those gaps and maybe bringing that anxiety and that fear before the Lord and just having him meet you in it. Maybe his presence just ministering to your soul. And Father, would you do that for those that need it today too? And I believe finally for some of you, what today is about is getting that adventurous spirit in your heart. It's about shifting away from thinking of God as a business trip and actually releasing yourself into the adventure 
It's about releasing yourself into the joy of not knowing. It's about releasing yourself into the mystery and wonder of God. It's about releasing yourself afresh in the reality that He has you in His hands, that there are no gaps for Him. He sees it all and you're just a float down the river. And no matter how crazy those rapids are, no matter what's around the next turn, and you're, you're to just release yourself to the adventure of knowing Jesus again. Some of you have made your faith with Jesus a business trip when God wants you in an adventure. And maybe that's a prayer today to just say, Lord, give me that adventurous spirit again. Lord, help me to trust you. Lord, increase faith, hope, and love in my life so that I can enjoy every moment of the gaps that are before me. And I will overcome those gaps with your presence more and more. Church, just sit with all of this as we return into a place of worship. Just allow the Holy Spirit to minister to you in this moment. Whatever it might be that he's saying to you, allow his presence to be here. In Jesus' name, amen.